Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we are reviewing Quiet by Susan Cain. The power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. Mate, this is a very popular book, this one, Quiet. Um, all about uh, introversion, mate. As you say, mate, it's a very loud world these days. Extroverts are highly regarded, highly rewarded, but uh, that's at the cost of ignoring the power of introverts. And according to Susan, our lives are shaped as profoundly by personality, being introversion or extroversion, almost as much or as much by gender or race. And it's really the most important aspect of our whole personality, kind of like the north and south of our temperament. Yeah, this introversion, extroversion spectrum and where we fall on that spectrum really influences a hell of a lot of things in our life. Uh, It affects a lot of our choices, like the friends that we make, the relationships we build, uh, how we make conversation with people, how we resolve differences, how we show love. It affects the careers we choose. Uh, it affects our level of success. It governs how likely we are to exercise, commit adultery, function without sleep, learn from mistakes, place bets on the stock market, delay gratification, become a good leader. There's all these things that are very, very, very much dictated by where we fall on this introversion, extroversion spectrum. Absolutely. It's a whole bunch of stuff there. And what we're really told and everyone in our culture believes that it's it's only good to be an extrovert and only one out of three people are actually extroverts and we're told that these are the people who are really out there saving the world and you know that it's great to be like them and be bold and to be happy is to be sociable. Yeah. And as a result of that introversion and as she says that it's cousins like sensitivity, seriousness, shyness, vulnerability, these have become second class personality traits. And so she equates introverts living in this extrovert ideal world similar to women living in the man's world of you know 50, 60 years ago where um, you were almost a, a second-class citizen uh, and she's saying that now if you're an introvert in this extrovert world, you're almost a second-class citizen. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an enormously appealing personality style that introverts always feel that they have to step into but we've turned that <clears throat> but we've turned it into an impressive standard to which most of the introverts out there feel like they just have to conform to. Yeah, she says that introverts are almost shamed, you know, supervisors at work, they value people with people skills and the bubbly extroverts. She says that parents apologize if their children are too quiet and too shy and they just wish they could be more like their outgoing cousins. Uh, but she says that, you know, we can feel guilty if an, as an introvert if they decline a dinner invitation instead go home to read a, read a good book. Yeah, that sounds a little bit like me. <laughs> You might think you're a bit of a weirdo if you're declining dinner invitations you sit, just to sit there and read a good book and people might think that you're in your head too much, you're alone too much. But big Susan here, she has another word for it. She says another name for that are people who are thinkers. And there's huge upsides of being an introvert that doesn't really get focused upon. I mean, being bold-mannered can take strong, even aggressive positions whilst coming across as perfectly reasonable. Or you can ask questions, lots of them, and actually listen to the answers because you don't feel like you have to be the one speaking the whole time. So I think people probably, you listening to this, you've probably got a, a decent grasp on what an introvert or what an extrovert is. You've probably got a bit of an idea as to what you think you are. She goes back to the early days of sort of where this came from research and science-wise, and it was by uh, one of your heroes, Carl Jung. <laughs> He's all fucking <laughs> You love Carl Jung. And, um, I just love his name. <laughs> when you say Jung, 
after a quote, it just it just adds it about three three times its weight. <laughs> I don't know who he is or what he wrote or anything. <laughs> well, he had this thing called psychological types, and uh, really what it boiled down to is that introverts they're drawn to the inner world. They're all about thoughts and feelings and deep thinking. Whereas extroverts, they're drawn to external life. They're drawn to people and activities and they plunge themselves into events. So you probably know in yourself about how you recharge your own batteries. If you're an extrovert, you'll actually recharge your batteries when you're around other people, you're at a party, you're socializing, you get really energized from it. But if you're an introvert and you're in that same situation, your battery kind of just drains downwards and the only time that you recharge the batteries is when you're all alone and you're reading a book by yourself in the dark corner in a room with nobody around. <laughs> It'd be pretty hard to read a book in a dark room. It would be. Hopefully <laughs> you're an introvert. a book light or something. Yeah, yeah, you might have a book light. Today, uh, there's, whilst there's a, some debate or discussion around this, uh, psychologists do agree on, on some certain points. So, what, a big thing that determines introversion or extroversion is the level of outside stimulation that you need to function well. So, as you said, for introverts, if they're at the party and there's a lot of stimulation going on outside, it is draining to them and they recharge when they're alone in quiet time, uh, whereas extroverts, they feel like they need that uh, external stimulation. Otherwise, they sort of, if they're all alone, they feel bored, they feel trapped um, if there's too much quiet time. And when it comes to assignments, extroverts will jump in and tackle them quickly. They'll make a lot of fast and rash decisions and they're comfortable with multitasking and all this risk-taking. You know, there's some upside and downside to that. Uh, and they enjoy the thrill of the chase for rewards like money and status. And conversely, introverts they prefer to work more slowly, more deliberately. They certainly prefer individual tasks over, over group activities. They like to focus on one task at a time and dedicate um, concentration to it rather than jumping from task to task and being able to do things quickly uh, and do multitasking. Uh, but they're also relatively immune to the lures of wealth and fame and status. And extroverts, they'd rather talk than listen. They're comfortable with conflict but not with solitude. Then on the other hand, introverts, they prefer not to speak, they prefer to listen, they prefer to, prefer to think before they speak, and they express themselves better in writing than in conversation. And if they have to get up and uh, speak in front of people, they'll have a lot of horror and almost have a heart attack. So like our evolutionary biologists really believe that every animal out there in the world uh, has evolved to have fit some kind of ecological niche and that is ideal for a certain set of behaviors of that niche. Quite similar with introverts and extroverts. Both have evolved these sets of uh, characteristics and strengths and weaknesses to fit a niche that can serve humanity. But at the moment, we're really turning our back on one set of these skill, one side of these skills, and we're just looking at the extrovert ideal. So that's a, a fair setup of the difference between introversion and extroversion. Uh, you, it's obviously not you're 100% one and 0% the other. It is a spectrum in that there is a, a whole range from 0% to 100% where you'll, feel, you'll fit somewhere along that spectrum. Uh, but what the, the book, I guess, the, is about is that the issue is that uh, there are all these different types of people, but we seem to, as a society, only focus on one being sort of the answer and that everybody aspires to uh, craft their personality towards that type, towards the extroversion. 
and unfortunately the introverts maybe feel like they're being left behind. So this book is sort of in support of introverts, I guess. So this is the myth of charismatic leadership that everybody thinks that you have to be this one type of person and it's best personified by the big Tony Robbins who recommends getting into state and he kind of stands there with his chest out and looks at you in the eye in a really weird way and... It's a very nice way, though. It's a very nice way, but he gets you in a state and he asks you if you can feel it. Can you feel it? <laughs> and then everyone just says they can feel it. Just no, when it. Tony does it, I can feel it. When other people yeah. that we know who ask if we can feel them, I've never felt them before. <laughs> yeah, we, that was really weird. We came across someone who um, went to a Tony Robbins seminar and did the TR on us and he was, yeah, he stood there and it kind of, he was in state and he was looking at it. Can you feel that? <laughs> I was like, what? I can't really feel it. I didn't feel it. <laughs> don't know what that was. But um, but that's what really everyone thinks they should need to be. They need to get in state, walking around with their chest out, really bold, really charismatic, and really brilliant. And this is what we put on the pedestal. Yeah, so that's what we, uh, as you say, we put this on a pedestal to be the, the charismatic leader, to be the extroverted, outgoing person who's able to inspire everybody around them. Uh, but that's not necessarily what is shown in studies to be the most effective. So there's a couple of studies by Adam Grant that... Uh, sort of supported his hypothesis that uh, extroverted leaders enhance group performance when the employees are passive, but introverted leaders are better when they have proactive employees. So if you've got a group that as a whole is somewhat passive, they listen to the boss, they do what they're told, then an extroverted leader is going to be good for that situation, that they're going to they're gonna push people, they're going to prod people, they're going to inspire people to take action. But if you've already got a group of people who are proactive, who do take initiative, actually an introverted leader who sort of gets out of the way and fosters the group is actually going to perform better. And they found this with a study when they went to five massive pizza chains in the USA and they really studied the profits of the pizza stores who were managed by extroverts or introverts. And what they found was that the stores managed by extroverts were 16% higher than those by, led by introverts but as you're saying, only when the employees were passive types to do their job without initiative. But if the employees had initiative, it turns out the introvert leaders were the ones who came out on top by a amount of 14%. So as you said, if you've got a whole, if you've got a team who exercises initiative and they're proactive by nature, an introvert will be the one who will be able to let them reach their entire potential. But if they're a team who just sits there on their ass doing nothing, then the extrovert will be the one who can kick them up the ass to get them moving. Yeah, definitely. A second study, uh, there was a group of students and they had to fold as many t-shirts as possible in 10 minutes and there was a, an actor within this group. Uh, and what the actor would suggest, the actor would say, you know, after a minute or two in, they'd say, I've got this friend from Japan uh, who has this much faster way to fold. It might take us a minute to learn, uh, but at the after we've learned it, it's going to be a lot quicker. Do you want to try it? And what they found was that introverted leaders were 20% more likely to listen to the group. So extroverted, listeners, uh, extroverted leaders probably thought they either knew all the answers or they weren't open to listening to the group, uh, whereas the introverted leader was open to team suggestions and they tried the things out and actually turned out to be 24% better at, uh, at folding t-shirts. So what this shows is there is upside to having both introvert leaders and extrovert leaders in every organization. So it's really important for a company to groom both types of leader to get the best out of all the different personality types within a company. The next uh, section that she talks about 
is, a, is another study, this one at Harvard Business School, and it was a group synergy training. And so what the task was, was that as a group, they were told you're, uh, you're, you've been in a plane crash, there are 15 items, and as a team, you need to rank the items from 1 to 15 based on what is most crucial to bring with you for your survival. Uh, and so the whole point was not to get it right, but to work well as a team. And what they found in terms of this group dynamics, they found a lot of really interesting things in terms of uh, how the group worked together and how they uh, accepted or rejected different ideas. And one of the biggest ones is uh, what's known as conviction bias. So the groups often found that their plans or their decisions were based on what the most vocal people were suggesting. And the people who were less vocal, when they put out ideas, they were often discarded. So it really didn't have anything to do with the quality of the idea or the person that was suggesting the idea. All that mattered was the conviction at which they suggested this idea. So obviously, if something sounds more believable, if, you know, if an extrovert is talking a lot and suggesting a lot of ideas that sound believable, the group was more likely to accept that idea as valid as opposed to someone who's a bit more quiet, a bit more meekly suggesting their ideas and often got discarded. That's a really big one, conviction bias. If you're, for example, I've been to some things where in a forum, they're trying to get feedback from people and everyone in the audience. Basically, if you're in that format trying to get feedback and someone's going to lift their hands to give the feedback, you're basically just shutting down half the audiences um, who are introverts feedback com- completely. So if you were to get everyone's feedback, you're trying to avoid conviction bias, perhaps by just letting people submit feedback by writing and then equally weight it to the people who ver- verbally gave feedback. Yeah, I like that. Um, there was another thing they found in this group dynamics was there was a lot of halo effect and a lot of availability bias. So when different team members evaluated the other team members' performances, they found that the ones that talked the most and the ones that had the most confidence had this massive halo effect. So people took this, there's this confident person that's talking a lot. They also rated them as better looking, more intelligent and more likable. And they also said that the people that talked the most, there was this availability bias towards it, that the people that talked the most, they rated as the best leaders. So really it had nothing to do with their leadership ability. It was just that because the attention was focused on them so much, because they were talking so much, they were seen as the better leaders. So uh, what Susan Cain is saying here is that we have all of these cognitive biases. We have all these heuristics to say the person that talks the most or the person that you know suggests most strongly and most confidently is probably right and the best leader. And it's just like a natural part of our, of our brains. But that do- definitely does not mean that that's correct. And this is where our bias can get us into trouble because the people who are talking the most we see as the best leaders. But what we found in Jim Collins' book, uh, Good to Great, he saw that the, all the leading companies had one thing in common with their leaders. He said it was level five leadership. So it wasn't the ones out there, rock star CEOs with a big flash of charisma. They're the ones with extreme humility who could let projects succeed and they wouldn't have to take the credit for everything. They'd be able to handle the credit to other people and they could just sit in the background and let things uh, keep rolling on beautifully. Yeah, these level five leaders, as you say, they had this extreme humility mixed with this intense professional will. So the these level five leaders, the best types of leaders, the best CEOs, they weren't as concerned about what is the public saying about them, how many mentions are they getting in TV or in the in the newspapers, what are people saying about them. They didn't care so much about transforming their own personalities. All they cared about 
was growing the institutions that they were running. Sounds a lot like introverts, these level five leaders. <laughs> it certainly does, me. doesn't it? Part two of the book really looks in the biology and some of the upside and the, the real character benefits that introverts get to get to have. And there's two studies that really show how introverts can understand the subtleties in things and also have a lot of empathy. Yeah, it turns out that introverts are actually a lot more sensitive uh, to what's going on around them. So, as we said, like this external stimulation, uh, both physical and emotional, introverts are a lot more affected by what is going on around them. They tend to notice subtleties that others miss. Like they can sort of pick up more readily when a person's mood shifts or when like a, a light changes in its intensity or if there's a slight color change, they, they seem to see these things more readily and they're sort of more in tune with what's going on around them. One study at Stony Brook University, they got two pairs of photos of a whole bunch of different examples and some of the photos had something very extremely subtly different about them. And then they wanted to test what the introverts found and what the extroverts found. And they asked if the second was the same as the first. And as you'd imagine, all the extroverts thought, yeah, they're the same because they, th- they thought about it. They didn't really think about it at all. Fucking extroverts. And then the <laughs> <laughs> but the introverts were able to really look at the intricate details of the photos and notice these subtle differences. And it shows really how sensitive people think in a more complex fashion to notice these differences. Should we go a bit meta at the moment? I think if people are listening along, uh, they can probably sense there's a fair bit of bias towards that introverts is the the holy grail that you should be heading towards. <laughs> <laughs> I think this book, uh, if you're an introvert reading this book, you absolutely love it. And I think if you're an extrovert reading this book, uh, it, it probably just feels like a big attack. No, yeah, it does sell, it does sell the, the case for introverts very well, I think. So if introverts are listening to it, um, yeah, you will, you will will it will add to your own confidence <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the next study uh, was a study of children actually and there was a woman who was like the researcher they were just sort of like playing a game and she had a toy and then all of a sudden she triggered this toy and it, it broke in half and the woman went oh my and then waited to see what the child would do and so they found that some children felt a lot more guilty than others so some sort of didn't really think too much of it but some would like hide their faces or they'd hold themselves or they'd look away or the most sensitive ones, the most highly reactive ones, they felt the guiltiest. And so what they found was that these introverts uh, actually were able to develop uh, a lot stronger sense of empathy than than extroverts. Yep, and empathy is a really big deal. It's a big trait to actually take with you to understand how other people's emotions are rather than just worrying about your own emotion the whole time. So the way this plays out when it comes to professions in the financial world, when it comes to investing, introverts can have a big advantage over extroverts. And this actually came up in the world financial crisis. So something that extroverts really fall victim to is reward sensitivity. So a reward sensitive person is highly motivated to go out and seek rewards from a promotion to a lottery to a jackpot to enjoyable evening out with friends. So it's the idea when you think about that's money that you could earn. Your brain releases dopamine before you actually get it. So then you can actually, this can make you become really irrational toward getting and going after these external goals. Yeah, she says that they found that extroverts tend to have more active 
dopamine pathways. So as you say, that when they release dopamine, it seems to uh, impact upon extroverts more. And she says that it prompts us to climb the ladder, to reach for those faraway branches, to gather life's choicest fruits, probably pursuing more uh, goals that lead to rewards, things like pursuing more sex, more money, more social status, more influence. But sometimes we can be too sensitive to rewards. And if we just keep chasing that pot of gold or keep trying to hit the jackpot on the pokies, then it can be a bad thing as well. Absolutely. So this is what got got the extroverts in trouble in the 2008 crash. They were thinking about the upside of all their transactions without really managing their risk. So they were really vulnerable to the crash, the extroverts compared to the introverts because they had a lot more risk in their portfolio that they weren't actually aware of at the time. And what they found was those with the serotonin regulating gene linked to introversion and sensitivity took 28% less financial risk than the others. And the study of 64 traders at an investment bank found that the highest performing traders tended to be emotionally stable introverts who didn't just get um, influenced by and aroused by the dopamine of the reward reward sensitivity. Yeah, she says that in a way, extroverts are lucky. They probably have higher highs. That there's the the feeling of buzz. They love to chase chase for a reward. It fires you up. It makes you work hard and play hard. Uh, it gives you courage to take on challenges. They're all good things, but of course, there is the the downside of that buzz, where you tend to sort of ignore some of the risks, and as you say, you're just chasing the goals, uh, and probably sometimes lose a bit of rational thought. Whereas the introverts who don't have that same level of buzz or drive, they're able to still maintain that rational thought and still able to calculate risks properly and effectively. Part four of the book has some really good advice for introverts to how to deal in a world or how to work in a world that is so obsessed with extroversion. Yeah, William James says that a man has as many social selves as there are distinct groups of persons about whose opinion he cares. He generally shows a different side of himself to each of these groups. So what he's saying here is that we can sort of choose how we act. We can change our personality somewhat. We can you know, put on a mask or put on a show. And so if you are an introvert and you recognize that a certain group or a certain person really regards extroversion and those sorts of qualities, uh, if you listen to William James, you can sort of put on a bit of a show. You can put on a, a mask. And you need to be able to step outside of your introverted tendencies. And if, you know, if the situation requires take on some of this extroverted flair she's got a lot of examples who some leaders who are introverts and who are putting on this extrovert ideal in small doses selective times when they really have to one of them is jack welch and who does exactly that this and he says if you're an introvert in corporate america you should try to save your true self for quiet weekends and spend your weekdays trying to strive out there get out there mix speak and connect with people Understanding that your batteries that you've got will be um, reduced every time that you go out there and be an extrovert, but sometimes you've got no choice but actually to put it on and play the game. Yeah, it might seem like an interesting twist that you know this whole book saying about how introverts are, are really, really good at everything, um, but the, what she's saying here is that you've got to be realistic as well. If the whole world is valuing extroversion, you can't change the whole world. You need to sometimes put on this mask, take on some of these positive traits and mix your introversion with the extroversion. So if you are an introvert, that's some really good advice, I think, because there are some inherent benefits that you've got in being an introvert, as we've really covered. 
But that doesn't mean you get to cop out on some of those moments where you really have to be an extrovert. You can be, you can speak up at meetings every now and then when you have to and it's something you care about. You can get up and do that presentation if it's something you care about. But understand that you've only got so much juice in you in being an extrovert and use it wisely and selectively. I've got one more uh, personal story similar to along these introversion lines. Uh, my girlfriend, Alison, definitely falls into this introvert category. Uh, she loves this book, obviously, because uh, if you're an introvert, you love reading quiet. Uh, but at work, though, she's a leader and people are often surprised, I guess, when they see her as extroverted. She's able to put on that mask and play it up. But then when she gets home, it's a much more back into a, uh, introvert time. And often, uh, I used to get annoyed before reading this book if, say, we'd go out to uh, have dinner or socialize with people and then driving home because I'm always listening to podcasts or listening to music. I always wanted to listen to something uh, and I'll get really pissed off when she just said, no, can we just have have silence? Mm. And it used to really fucking give me the shits actually because <laughs> um, I'd miss out on that. But now I've, having read this book, now I always bring, a, bring some headphones so I can still listen to the podcast nice. and she can she can have a quiet time. Yeah. Now I've, I've, I've realized I've been, I'm actually an introvert as well and a lot of people find that surprising because we do like podcasts and it's seeming like you're doing all these extrovert kind of things but yeah similar thing like i uh when i had my girlfriend's dinners and stuff like that i've very early on people think i'm a dickhead for this but gave her a quota of how much (laughs) how much of those family dinner type stuff i can go to because there's only so much i can go to and just Mm. um speak to people all the time i would much rather just sit at home and just hang out yeah for sure and so that's that's quiet. I think it is. Um, if you're an introvert, it's definitely a must read. I think because you you could be out there thinking that the only way to succeed is to be an extrovert. But this book will obviously uh, confirm your self opinion a bit in giving some highlights as to the benefits of introversion and also give you a bit of a taste of okay, if this is me and if this is the world, how do I sort of mold myself in a way that allows me to still succeed. <laughs> 